We're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution, an economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and Barris SAGE Institute colleague, Ed Kless. And on today's show, folks, we are so honored. Returning guest, Professor Deirdre McCloskey. She is the Distinguished Professor Emerita of Economics and of History and Professor Emerita of English and of Communication at the University of Illinois at Chicago. She trained as a Harvard economist in the 1960s. She has written 20 books, some 400 academic articles on economic theory, history, philosophy, rhetoric, statistical theory, feminism, ethics, and law. She now describes herself as a literary, quantitative, postmodern, free market, progressive, Episcopalian, ex-Marxist, Midwestern woman from Boston who was once a man. Not a conservative. I'm a Christian classical liberal. Professor, welcome back to the Soul of Enterprise. Well, I'm glad to be here. And you you got all of them in. It was really good. <laughs> Sometimes people miss things or drop important details. <laughs> well, your your bio is quite extensive because your accomplishments are so prolific. But you know, we had you back on on our sixth episode back in August in 2014. And at that at that time we told you that. You can, we, you just, your work continues to blow our mind. And now I will say, change it. So I have a, a question for you. Then this is based from your book, Why Liberalism Works, which yes. Ed and I have been absorbing and just love that book, which came out last year. Yeah. You, you wrote, the point here is to convert you to a humane, true liberalism yeah. and that capitalism, and you don't like that word, and no, you it. like innovism, yeah. I think, has raised the real income per person of the poorest since 1800 by over 3,000%, which you call the great enrichment. This is like the greatest untold story of the world, but how did it happen, Professor? Well, it's, it's in the first place, it's very strange that it's not told front and, and, and front and, 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 and center. It's certainly true, but my friends on the left and, and many on the right are always saying, well, we can do better, or actually things were better in olden, the olden days or something like that. And it's, it's, it's not true. It's a factor of 30 increase for the, for, for the uh, poorest um, among us. And as Ronald, Reagan said in the, in the in the piece that you uh, that you played at the be beginning. I think it was on the air. I'm not sure it was. The great thing that changed, and it not just um, not just recently, but in the, in the 19th century and then going into the the 20th century, was that people were liberated from old hierarchies, from old bosses. A European asked a free American in the 19th century, 
who his master was. You know, everyone in, in Europe, and Sweden and France had a master. And he replied, my master ain't been born yet. And that freedom, <laughs> that freedom to try things out, that's what made the modern world. It, it was in, in, in my word for it, and it's an old word, uh, is, is liberalism. Not in the modern American sense, but in the old sense of, of Adam Smith and John Stuart Mill. It's free people who made us rich. In fact, the, the, the uh, title of a new book that uh, Art Cardin and I are coming out with in the, in the fall is uh, for, from the University of Chicago Press. It's called, Leave Me Alone and I'll Make You Rich. <laughs> and and I, I think that's the essence of it. Yeah, it, it, it's such a powerful argument because we continue to hear all these materialist yeah, explanations. And yet you just, you destroy these or take them down one by one because I, you know, you, you point out that in the old days, especially around Europe, the only way to get honor was by being a soldier or being a priest. Exactly. And yeah. these things started, and these ideas started to change. We started to accept creative destruction. We no longer looked at exactly. innovation as a sin. I mean, innovation was considered a sin or a hearsay, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was a bad word. You didn't want to innovate. My God, that would... That would disturb things. We don't want to disturb things. We want the what they called in Elizabethan times the great chain of being from the king to the to the household dog, and and, and everyone had a master, and it was all frozen. If you were a if you were born to be a uh, be a milkmaid, that's what you were uh, forever, and so so it's. This turn to liberalism, as first as an idea, really, in the 18th century, all men, said, um, said Thomas Jefferson, are created equal. He didn't really mean it because he had large numbers of slaves. But, but that idea um, uh, spread and in the 19th century start, started to get actually implemented. The ending of slavery, the ending eventually of the subordination of, of women uh, in, the, in the 20th century, the end of imperialism, um, and, and all the hierarchies went. And it turned out that these ordinary people were fantastically creative. And I like to talk about Malcolm McLean, the trucking company, small trucking company owner in North Carolina, who in 1956, invented the container. <laughs> now, it's not a really complicated idea. Hmm, let's make some strong boxes and pile them on top of each other on a ship or a train. But it's revolutionized um, our, uh, our, our supply chains. And it came out of a free man's um, life. Right. So, so, so freedom made for enrichment. And freedom, obviously, it's an attitudinal change, like you say, yeah. ideology, ideas. Yeah. Professor, what role did religion play in helping to change those attitudes, yeah. bring about well, liberalism? There's an older argument that the great 
German pioneering sociologist, Max Weber made over a hundred years ago, that the Protestant ethic was the key to um, modernity. And I don't think that's right. I think he was arguing that there's a psychological change, that, that people in business got, I don't know, harder working or saved more or something like that because they were afraid they wouldn't show that they were among the, the chosen, you see, if they were Calvinists. But I, I think what's much more important is also part of the Protestant Reformation, which is church governance. Indeed, the absence of church governance. Congregationalists are called so because the congregation chooses the minister and, and Quakers, the Society of Friends, so to speak, as their name implies, don't even have a, a, a preacher. They sit around in a circle until the uh, Holy Spirit descends on them. So this freeing of people's religious lives, which people have taken very seriously, much more seriously than most intellectuals think nowadays, I think was one of the things that, that provided a model of a, of a liberal society, of a society where there are no slaves, where, where people are free to, as the English say, have a go. And go they went. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, I was listening to Tyler Cowan's podcast um, the other day, and he had he had on Paul Romer, and he. Paul, uh, by the way, Paul was a student of mine as an undergraduate uh, at the University of Chicago. Ah, okay, <laughs> that's great. Uh, well, they should they should be giving you a Nobel Prize for your work, as far well, as I'm. Thank concerned. you, dear. <laughs> from from your from your lips to God's, or actually to the Swedes here. <laughs> But Tyler asked him, Professor, why didn't China develop the Industrial Revolution? And he cited a paper by Justin Lind, I think. And he said, China didn't invent the social system we call science. No. And it, you, you don't buy that, uh, no, that, no, that theory, do they, you? They, a more important figure um, in, in making that case is my, my dear friend, Joel Mokira. I was just talking to him a few minutes ago. Joel is at North, North, Northwestern. Speaking of Nobel Prizes in economics, Joel certainly uh, uh, deserves one. And he, he puts it on science too. But Joel and I agree that science doesn't really make for much in the way of economic change to, until the 20th um, uh, century. Joel would put it a little bit earlier. But it's clear that by now, science is very important. The, the medium we're using right now, the radio or the TV or the, or the internet, those are all um, science-based. There's no question about it. But to go back to my example, containerization has nothing to do with science. It now, <laughs> there, science matters in the end because of the, uh, the scheduling of these uh, boxes is a matter of computer capacity. But on the other hand, the sheer idea of piling up steel boxes, strong steel boxes, is based on a very much older technology. I have a friend at 
King's College London, um, David Edgerton, who, who wrote a wonderful book called The Shock of the Old, where David points out that <laughs> many of the older technologies, I don't know, pencils, <laughs> um, uh, uh, electric lights, which are now very old technology, uh, um, hammers. I mean, th think of all the various old technologies that get reused and reused and reused and reused again and again to make new combinations. And it's in that wonderfully creative employment, not just of cutting edge new science, but, uh, um, but of older technologies. Now, as a matter of fact, the, um, Paul is wrong. Um, Chinese science in 1492 was clearly superior to science in the West. So it's not an early, early thing. And, um, the, uh, and as I said, high science, and that's what he means. Look, <laughs> astronomy had nothing to do with the Industrial Revolution. And more and more to the point, it didn't have to do with the great enrichment of the 19th century. And, the, and then in the 20th, starts to become more important. Right. Uh, this is, you know, one of the things your trilogy books taught me was just the, the whole California school and just how many things did come out of China. And then you wonder why it stopped. And exactly. Well, there one, one has an easy answer. And, and it, again, it has to do with this matter of freedom or, or, or liberty, as I prefer to call it, that, that by accident, by happy accident, the Europeans, especially the Northwest Europeans, the Dutch, and then the English, and then the Scots, and then the American colonies have, um, by contrast with the Qing dynasty in China um, from 1644, to 1911, which was a, a dynasty of, of, of foreigners, they're Manchurians, that had to hold on to power with this fierce grip. And that makes for conservatism, such as we'll start seeing in, in, in China, by the way, now. So you can screw it up. <laughs> it's pretty easy to do. <laughs> yes, you can. Well, Professor, this is just flying by, but unfortunately, we're up against our first break. And folks, I'd like to remind you, if you want to contact Ed or myself, you can send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsors. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. 
Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah 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 Whatever, and four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And our guest on The Soul of Enterprise today is Deirdre McClowski. We are so pleased to have her on a second time. And Professor McClowski, before we move on, uh, I just wanted to thank you for being our first guest. You were incredibly gracious. I had a chance to recently listen to the show that you did with us. And we're, we're, we're doing this now for six years, but I have to tell you, if, if you weren't as gracious as you were, I don't know if we've had a second guest. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you for, for you, you being you, as we say. Thank you, Uh Wanted to ask you about what's going on with COVID. Steve Landsberg uh, writes this in one, in he his blog the other day. Steve was also a student of mine. Yes. Uh, <laughs> nobody nobody considered locking down the economy in 1969. They were talking yeah. about the Hong the Hong Kong flu because they couldn't afford to. More precisely, given their relative poverty, they preferred to spend their wealth on other things. Today's lockdown is widely supported because it's a luxury we've grown rich enough to afford. In other words, the lockdown is yet another triumph of capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> well, Steve is is a brilliant guy. I actually hired Steve at the University of Iowa when I was chair of economics there, and he was a joint appointment in economics and mathematics because his PhD is in mathematics from the University of Chicago. Yeah, it, I, he's right. I'm a little dubious that places like India can wisely close down the Indian economy because the immediate result is not just a few, but literally hundreds of millions of people literally hungry and maybe in large numbers starving. Whereas now um, with the kind of jobs you and I do, we can do them as we are right now from our, uh, well, from my case, from my, 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 my sister's basement. Um, and we are, as, as Steve said, we're, we can do this from a cost-benefit point of view. It's been done extremely clumsily, in, especially in Britain and the United States. And the correct way to do it is the way places like New Zealand, South Korea, in some startling cases, um, uh, did it, um, uh, which is to jump on it quickly. Because the one exception that a, that a liberal, a classical, liberal like I, uh, um, like me, makes 
for uh, government action is exactly this kind of crisis. If the Canadians were to invade Maine, and I'm, I, I can't sleep at night worrying about the damn Canadians, uh, which is why we have such a large uh, uh, Department of Defense, because of the f terrible fear of being invaded by our neighbor to the north. But if they invaded, it would be a very bad plan to wait until they had conquered all of New England to start doing something about it. The best thing is the moment they come across the main border, we uh, send, uh, send soldiers. And the same thing, of course, is a common analogy, is a forest fire. Obviously, if you can get to the forest fire quickly, um, and, and you, want, you want to have a fire department that can do that, and that's, a, that's a something the government should and can do, although it might subcontract the actual uh, um, uh, provision of it. But it should finance it. Your taxes and mine should finance it. And we stop the fire early. And that's what spectacularly the, the, the United States and Britain didn't do. And the, the word that's thrown around so often is unprecedented. This is unprecedented. Well, no, thank you. Not. Yes, it's unprecedented. We know, we know that. But as an economic historian, it, are there some precedents that we can put into practice here for what we've done to the economy and what one economist calls the, the, the great suppression, which I think is a great name for it. Yeah, it is. That's, a, that's an excellent word for it. Because, but, you know, in, in, in months, uh, let's, let's think of it in, say, a six-month uh, term. Uh, in month three, you have to do mass um, obstruction of commerce uh, temporarily to then you need to go back to what you should have done in the first place, which is test, 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 trace, and quarantine. And that's not rocket science. We've known how to do this for about a century. Before we weren't any good at it. It was um, the, uh, it's not, not so much, again, it's not so much the high science that's at issue here, although eventually we got, we started to understand what, what was causing it. Germs, it, germs as bacteria, bacteria, and then, 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 uh, then viruses. But we learned to uh, put typhoid Mary in jail. <laughs> we, we learned to go after the people in, in the, this case, of course, not because they intend to, but, but find the, um, the, the situations, like a funeral happened in, in Georgia, southwestern Georgia, or a, uh, a party that happened in Washington that, that causes this explosion. But unfortunately, they're, I'm afraid, having screwed it up originally, unlike these other countries, we're then forced to do this great suppression. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to steal that phrase. It's a good one. <laughs> and and it, because of that, you know, we're we're facing here, I guess, eighteen percent unemployment, thirty-eight oh, million more. people. It'll be it, more yeah. like a quarter. It'll be more like and a which is be, which is which is de depression era levels. And it's you better. said at the end of our last show that that Keynesianism works in the case of mass unemployment. Maybe. And I'm just wondering, is, is this still the case that we, can, we oh. can spend our way out of this one? So, no. No, because in, the, in, the, in 1933, 
although this was before Keynes came up with this argument, so it's kind of strange to call it Keynesianism, but it made some sense to spend crazily, build dams, make roads, do anything, try to get money into people's pockets, because, because it, was a, it was a demand side phenomenon. Uh, people's uh, uh, confidence was broken. My, my gr grandfather went bankrupt, although he recovered from it, but he went bankrupt because his bank went bankrupt. His bank closed. Um, whereas this, you know, this, this is pretty clearly a supply side phenomenon. The government says, you open your shop and you go to jail. <laughs> so it's pretty clear that that's uh, uh, um, a, 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 on, on the other side. And that can't be helped. They, they call it the, uh, what's the jargon word they use? Oh, yeah, the, the stimulus program. Well, that's, that's silly. It's not stimulus. It's wage replacement is what we should be doing. The government having ordered that you can't open your shop, your employees should be supported a little bit for a while by the government. And then once we've gotten on top of it, as the, uh, as the governors keep saying, with sensible um, governors, places like Rhode Island and, and, and Michigan, uh, then, we can, then we can open. So, you know, I'm, I, you, you, you can take a kind of radical sort of anarchist position. Oh, to hell with it. Uh, I can do anything I want. But it's like a forest fire or an invasion. No, you can't do anything you want. If those darn Canadians invade us, you should be, you dear, should be drafted. There you go. <laughs> uh, so we've got about two minutes before our break and want to get, get this piece of it in too. It, with all of the spending, the stimulus, whatever they want to call it, yeah, it, yeah. it is, it, is this um, a situation where if we don't have a, a significant inflation in the next six months to a year, we got to rethink what causes inflation? Because I, I would think that this is, if this is the helicopters dropping money, this would be it. No, that, that again is on the, so to speak, on the demand side. Because, look, if, you're, if you've closed down, I don't know, a third or half or a quarter of the economy, um, there, you know, it's, not an, in, in, it's not inflation in its own right. Now, it is true. It's a puzzle. And all we MV equals PT folk, all we monitors like I am, although I'm a world monitor, it's not a country by country one, we're a little bit puzzled that the, um, uh, the, that the activities after 2008 didn't cause inflation. But I don't think the present, present policies, if you call them that, um, will cause inflation. Part, you know, partly because, as I just finished saying, inflation is actually these days a world phenomenon. That is, it's caused by a world, not country by country. If you're on flexible exchange rates, then you can pour money into the economy, cause inflation. But if you're on the roughly fixed, I call them slightly fixed, or somewhat as kind of a dirty float, they call it, uh, that most currencies are on now, it's the world inflation that matters. And I don't think it's going to happen. 
All right. Well, fantastic. We are up against our break. Want to remind you that you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. The website, of course, is the soul of enterprise where you can see show notes as well as previews to our upcoming shows. But right now, a word from our sponsor. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't, because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with Professor Deirdre McCloskey. And Professor, I wanted to ask you, in the book, Why Liberalism Works, you have a few chapters on Thomas Piketty. Yeah. And you, and I, this is just, this blew my mind. Uh, and I, I remember reading your, your long review when it first came out uh, a few years back. And you point out that for all of his data fetish, that he doesn't include human capital <laughs> in his statistics. And to me, that's just, a, how can you draw any conclusions it's, from the book? It's comical because it, look, what, what's happened in the last century or a century and a half is that, is that human capital is, well, the things, the, the thoughts between your ears, the skills that you have um, in your brain have become more and more important as how people earn income. I mean, our great, 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 great grandparents had, had strong hands and strong backs, and they didn't have to have a brain because the, the, the bosses owned the factories and the land, and they just told our ancestors what to do, and that was how things were done. But now the merest um, factory worker often has a lot of brain work in his in her job, and that's not you know in the uh, sort of assembly line. In in in, in a, we've seen a lot of 
meatpacking uh, assembly lines in the last uh, few days. But okay, maybe that's not brainwork. But a higher and higher percentage of what people do is. And he just, every once in a while in his book, he stops and defends himself and says, well, you know, I haven't included human capital because, well, let's see now. Oh, you can't buy and sell it. Well, you can buy and sell the rental from it, for one thing. And you can, uh, um, and, and it doesn't matter. Because look, if I own, would he not include um, uh, my house if someone, if the government passed a law that I was not allowed to sell it? Would he not include my house as, as uh, a, a productive piece of capital? So it's a shocking piece of just accounting error. <laughs> I've always said that to do an economic analysis correctly, you first need to get the accounting right. I'm a great admirer of academic accountants and of the, the profession of accounting. And uh, this is an example. You have, to, you have to get the qualitative framework of assets and liabilities, so to speak, first, then you can measure. Right, right. Well, as a prior CPA, I thank you for that. But no, uh, <laughs> some of my best friends are CPAs. Are you some concerned? Some of my worst enemies in the IRS. Are, <laughs> <laughs> are you worried if Jeff Bezos becomes the world's first trillionaire? <laughs> no. Look, it, it's, it's, my students are always asking, my former students, asking, oh, I are saying, I'd like to go into a nonprofit part of the economy. And they seem to think that a nonprofit parts of the economy are somewhat more virtuous than profit-making parts. And I think that's completely wrong. If Jeff Bezos does what he does well, you know, he started as a, as a bookseller. <laughs> And he's done very well for someone who started selling books. Um, I, I'm, I'm delighted. What he's done is a very good example of David Edgeworth's point of reinventing the old, the shock of the old. Because what Jeff Bezos has done is, is reinvented Sears Roebuck reinvented Montgomery Ward and, and, and Spiegel's, was that the catalog? That is, the, 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 the great system invented over a century ago of the mail order catalog. That's what it is. It's just adopted to the, to the internet. And I, uh, you know, just today, I got another package from Amazon and I love getting packages. I love Jeff Bezos. Well, you know, as you point out, citing, uh, who was it, uh, Nordhaus, the entrepreneur only reaps about 2%. That's right. That's right. Uh, he, he's, he'll be, uh, he's going to be unspeakably wealthy. Actually, you know, a lot of the, um, uh, let's take the Waltons, for example, or the, um, the, the, the old man in particular. Uh, it was just an organization change. He was early in the use the systematic use of barcodes. That's what he did. And that wasn't, you know, rocket science exactly. He just pursued it. Oh, and an even more famous example is Ray Kroc and the making of McDonald's into this uh, 
food service giant. And that was done by <laughs> good financial um, devices, such as having, having leases on the, on the land in which this, the, the, uh, the stores were on, the, the, the other restaurants were on. And in any case, taking an idea, no big technological change, no science, Joe Mokir is wrong, and making it uh, uh, work. Um, Joy Mangana, there's a wonderful movie about her, is about Ray Kroc, called uh, Joy. And again, very simple. She didn't have high science, but she had an, no idea, and she pursued it. And was able to in a free society, although in her case, she had the disadvantage of being a woman. Hmm. What was your position on Brexit? Well, on odd days of the month, I was against it. And on even days of the month, I was for it. <laughs> the, they invited all the columnists who worked for the, for the London Times to make a short piece before it happened, before they got it going, they made it happen. Um, their opinion on Brexit, and you know, one person would say yes, the other would say no. This one guy sent in this column where he said, "I don't know. It's it's driving me nuts. Who, I, 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 I need a drink. <laughs> it's a shame that Britain isn't still in the EU because it was a force for liberalism against the lawyer-dominated um, council." of Europe and its, uh, its, its uh, uh, offspring. But on, on the other hand, um, I, I think, I, I don't think it's going to matter all that much to tell you the truth. There's a terrible storm of drama for three years about this and it dominated British politics. But it's not going to result in much, I don't think, one way or the other. Britain can do fine outside and fine inside. And that's, it's not gonna change much. It is very inconvenient though, for young, young, young British people and young continentals who can't work in each other's economy. Right. You talk also about the artificial intelligence and the views of Tyler Cowen and Robert Gordon, John Maynard Keynes, some of these other pessimists when it comes to uh, the impact this technology is going to have. Yeah. Um, and there's all this talk about, especially when you put fold trade into this, oh, we've got it. The winners have to compensate the losers. And, uh, and I love this because you, you quote Stephen Landsberg, your former student. Yeah. He says, suppose after years of buying a shampoo at your local pharmacy, you discover you can buy, buy it online cheaper. You have an obligation to compensate your pharmacist. That point, <laughs> that, point that, that Steve made in that example is also made in, in another way by Don Boudreau at George uh, Mason. I don't know if you're aware of Don. He's a terrific. Oh, yeah. He's been a guest. Yeah, so we've had him on. Oh, well, he's wonderful. But Don makes the same point. And I've kind of pushed it into a philosophical realm because as their examples show all people are connected 
<laughs> if, they, if I write a book and it disturbs some other person who wrote a book, my friend Bob Gordon, the book that you mentioned, and I say, oh, Bob, you're all wrong, then what? Have I, have I committed a tort? <laughs> Can Bob sue me for, for financial damages? Um, everyone's connected. And so to, to talk in terms of protection or of compensation or of retraining programs, what, the idea that the government knows what the jobs of the future are is very strange. But anyway, any of these ideas, if carried out philosophically to their logical extreme, would mean that we'd never do anything. Because anything we say, my, if I wear an orange dress, burnt orange dress, you guys, you guys old enough to remember the color burnt orange? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it was a horrible color. And a whole dress made out of it is really offensive. Well, that's an externality. I'm going to be debating the day after tomorrow with Paul uh, Krugman, who believes in externalities. His, his colleague Joe St Stiglitz believes in them more fervently. And the trouble is, yeah, there are externalities, and some of them are important, like in the, in the COVID-19 crisis. But we can't all be protected from every thing that offends us or that even hurts us. If we do, then we're slaves to each other. And above all, liberalism is about going away from enslavement of one person to another. Yeah, I got one last question for you, uh, Professor, and then Ed will take you home in the last segment. But <laughs> in your book, you quote, T.B. Macaulay, who wrote in 1830, on what principle is it that when we see something, nothing but improvement behind us, we are to expect nothing but deterioration before us? And that pessimism just bleeds through some of the recent economic yes. work. Um, are you optimistic or pessimistic with respect to liberty? Optimistic. I'm very optimistic. Uh, um, and uh, although it could be, as we did in 19 August of 1914, we could, we, we, we could damage it, we could shoot ourselves in the foot and then start shooting ourselves in the head. But I'm on exactly that, 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 that principle. Since 1800, income per head in some countries has increased by 5,000%, in others by 2,000, say a rough average of 3,000%. Percent, percent. Not a doubling, not a tripling even, but a factor of 30 or 50 or two of 20, however you want to measure it. That's just an extraordinary change. And there is no reason to expect that the fruits of a free society are not continuously, are not going to continue to be available. People say, oh, there's an environmental limit. But that's wrong, as the Ronald Re Reagan quote said, the, the, and as, um, what's his name? I always forget his name. The, the ultimate resource. Julian Simon. That's right. Simon. I won the Simon Prize, so I've got to remember his name. <laughs> he was a very fine economist, and he was absolutely right that, that the, the, the ultimate resource is the human mind. And if you free that, 
we'll find other resources. When, when whale oil started to run out, we said, well, what's this black stuff coming up out of the ground in Pennsylvania? Hmm, maybe we could boil that a bit and, oh yeah, we can get kerosene. You know, come on. Uh, so again and again, we found substitutes. That's, that's, not, that's just not mindless te technological optimism. It's justified technological optimism. So, and, but here's the problem. Here's the big problem. <laughs> Pessimistic books sell. Optimistic books don't. Oh, you're so right. I don't ever expect any of my books to make a lot of money. And so far, I've been an excellent predictor. <laughs> People, for some reason, love to hear that the world is coming to the end. There was a New Yorker cartoon which showed a couple walking down the street. In the background, there was a man in a, a prophet's robe with a sign, the end is near, long beard. And one of the couples said to the other, wasn't that Paul Krugman? <laughs> Well, Professor, this is great. Unfortunately, we have to go for a break, but thank you so much again for reappearing on the show. And Ed will take you home in the next segment. And folks, if you want to contact Ed or me, send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is, for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Our guest today on The Soul of Enterprise is Professor Deirdre McCloskey. Uh, Professor McCloskey, I want to ask you about the, the New York Times 1619 project, but first, very quickly, there was a question from one of our listeners, so I just want to quick read that and, and have you respond 
uh, Bo, who's a friend of mine and also a delegate to the, the, the uh, Libertarian Convention tonight. He says, psychologists keep telling us that rationales come last. So how do we know that the changing attitudes weren't a trailing indicator of the changing situation on the ground? Well, I, I'm, I'm sympathetic with the, with, the, with the argument, but I'm a little suspicious of it because it, it kind of, if, if, you, if you keep saying it over and over again, then it's the, it's, it's the Marxist hypothesis that ideas are merely the froth on top of the great waves of history and that, uh, the, the, that, the, the, that the superstructure is determined by the base. In my third volume of the, of, of the trilogy and all this, I do talk about why the accidents worked in Northwestern Europe and didn't work elsewhere. And, and I think you can show that the ideas came first, say, the idea of the, um, that occurred in within the 80 years war of Dutch independence from Spain, that a republic could, without a king, could survive in, in Europe. So, you know, so, so in other words, ideas matter. Now they, you know, not always, but they matter. And now let me, let, let's turn our attention to something that is in the news recently. What are your thoughts on the, the New York Times 1619 project? Well, I have a, a column in, I think it's in, uh, yeah, it's in Reason Magazine about this. And um, my thought is that, uh, well, I got, uh, I got two thoughts. One will please my friends on the left and the other will please my friends on the right. That first of all, racism is a serious problem in the United States, and we ought to be worrying about it. This is a, it's not exactly an original sin at, uh, of 1619, but it was, I wish we hadn't, hadn't done it. Indeed, I wish we had solved the problem of slavery as it was solved in some other countries, such as in the, in the British Empire in 1833 with compensated emancipation. So you pay off the slave owners. That was proposed before the Civil War didn't happen. But in any case, there's a deep history, which I'm very, very uh, unhappy with uh, about racism in the United States. On the other hand, <laughs> um, a, contrary to Lincoln's wonderful speech, the second, inaugural uh, engraved on the uh, on the wall of the Lincoln Memorial slavery didn't make us rich there's a whole school of uh, of historians these days they call them the king cotton school and they believe that slavery namely via cotton was what made america great so to speak to to uh, uh, coin a phrase and that's nonsense it's economic nonsense and it's historical nonsense. If it were true, why, why does Canada have the same income the United States have, have when it, it didn't ever have slavery? I mean, what, what's, what's this talk about how important s, s, um, enslaving and suppressing blacks is? And, and, and another point, I, to, to make a joke about it, but about a very serious matter, I probably shouldn't look. I'm half Irish and one quarter Norwegian. My sister and I are watching this wonderful series called The Vikings. 
and were appalled at the behavior of our ancestors. They went to Ireland and enslaved a bunch of people. So much so that there are Irish, lots of Irish genes in the gene pool of the west of Norway. Well, to whom do I apply for reparations? <laughs> All societies have had terrible exploitations. Before we became free, um, uh, uh, wives were being beaten by husbands, uh, apprentices by, by, you know, by, by their, their masters and so forth. So I, I think it's, um, what would I say in summary? It, I don't think much of it, this 1619. That, that by the way, in case you, you're, 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 your listeners don't know, 1619 was when uh, presumably the first black slave was brought to the United States. Well, along those lines, and we've got about two minutes left, and, and this is in your book early on, I think you say the founding brother who does not have a hip hop musical about him, James Wilson says, <laughs> and you go on to, to quote him. But I wanted to ask you, have you seen Hamilton? And if you did, what do you think about it? I, I haven't. It, it, the, the, the tickets are too expensive. I'm just a poor, retired uh, <laughs> university professor. If there's someone out there who can get me get me tickets i'll go but i'm waiting for the movie that's my that's gonna be my story. yes july uh, this july on on disney plus they're releasing it early no kidding so, oh, i didn't know no that. kidding yes really? yes I, I have two kids that are huge hamilton fans so we are very very much up on it oh it's so, marvelous um, this historical figure has been so one minute left. Do you have in your in your thought a, a half-baked constitutional amendment that you like to make, or maybe a fully baked one? Well, if fully baked would be to get rid of the um, the the uh, the electoral college. Number two would be to pass the equal rights and the uh, the uh, not the equal rights amendment, but yeah, the equal rights amendment that that, that women have equal status to men. Um, what else? Remove the, the two terms for the president. I mean, they're, <laughs> these are all completely unrealistic. <laughs> I can't think of any realistic constitutional amendment. Yeah, no, well, unfortunately they all are because we haven't we have passed an amendment to the constitution in quite some time, but we are finished with the show today. I'm sorry we, that we have run out of time. Uh, Ron, what do we got coming up next week? Next week, we have Adam Thurer on his book, Evasive Entrepreneurs. All right. Well, I'll see you in 167 hours then, Ron. This has been the soul of enterprise business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, check out our full show notes at thesoulofenterprise.com. We'll post our uh, interview with Professor McCloskey up there and where you can get her books and try and get as many of her books up there as we can as well. Also, you can contact Ed or me at asktsoe at Thanks for listening, folks, and stay safe.